You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to The Breakfast Show. You're joined this morning by myself, Tukir Ahmed, and Imam Asim Hashmi here in the studio of Voice of Islam. And uh, as you know, the agenda of the show, the first 20 minutes to half an hour of the show, we like to run down with some of the main news which is happening around the world. And then uh, after that, we like to go into three of our main topics of discussion. And uh, similarly, um, we're going to be looking at segment one. We're going to be looking at is Christmas really the day Jesus was born and do Muslims celebrate it? A very uh, important topic, um, which uh, definitely I think uh, needs to be addressed. Um, and uh, it, I think quite quite often um, it is it's such a uh, beautiful moment anyway for the for our <clears throat> for everyone in, in you know in in different parts um you know they they usually spend their time with their family um but um looking at the the day of christmas actually was was the um reality behind it uh, so we're going to be looking at that uh, so do stay tuned for that from uh, 6:30 um and this will be going on until um 8.15, so 45 minutes, we'll be discussing this topic. And for segment two, uh, which we'll be uh, taking from 8.15 to 9, we'll be looking at the wicked wars and the crisis they cause. Uh, so another very um, important and, and contemporary topic, um, which uh, which deals with the current climate as well around the world. Uh, so we'll be joined today by um, by various guests. We'll be listening to Dr. Muhammad Iqbal. Uh, as all of our listeners know as well, he's the producer, host of Living History on the uh, Voice of Islam radio. So he's uh, no stranger to the Voice of Islam uh, platform. He's going to be joining us for segment one. And uh, we'll be listening to uh, Professor David Betts. He's the professor... Um, who's obtained his BA and MA at the uh, Carlton University at Ottawa and his PhD at the University of Glasgow. So we'll be listening to Professor David. Uh, we'll also be listening to uh, Miss uh, Hibatul Mohsen Abid. Sorry, I do apologize. Mr. Hibatul Mohsen Abid, who is the Vice President of the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association UK. Uh, he's going to be coming on as well. He's going to be talking about some of the Voice for Peace event which has been uh, taking place throughout the country as well. Um, the Amdi Muslim Youth Association, Asim, uh, they actively, a uh, lot of events happening. Uh, you must have uh, heard about um, the gift bags they've distributed all over the country. Um, so uh, during this winter period anyway or during this festive period um, the uh, the community uh, we do uh, go to care homes we do um, do different initiative dis- different drives but uh, one one such thing that uh, the Ahmadi Muslim youth 
what they've been doing is that they've been distributing gift baskets uh, around the country and from what i remember they've distributed over 480 uh, baskets uh, throughout okay so i have that the the um, the figures with me so they've distributed 750 gift baskets to uh, to the vulnerable and uh, this has actually been picked up as well by the independent um so they've mentioned uh, they've given a uh, article as well on this uh, they've said that members of the Amdi Muslim community they've provided some festive joy over the weekend by delivering gift baskets to vulnerable people and on sunday the Amdi Muslim Youth Association in collaboration with charities uh, Mary Curry um, and Humanity First they gave baskets to more than 750 people across uh, 40 UK towns and cities including Birmingham and Manchester and recipients of baskets which included scented candles, toys, chocolates. They were nominated by friends and family members and neighbours because they have been struggling financially or suffering from loneliness or illness. Uh, so Akbar Bhatt who is the um, Director for Charities and Welfare within the Amdi Muslim Youth Association he said the following uh, regarding this. He said the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, has said that every act of goodness is charity. And as Muslims, we don't celebrate Christmas, yet we recognize the challenges many people are facing during this season. And he further said that it is crucial to extend a helping hand to those in need. And I believe this effort is a humble way to bring joy to those who truly deserve it amidst this festive time. Um, so you can read more on this, more information on the baskets and how to make a donation. You can can be found on the website on Mercy for, that's numerical for, mankind.org uh, slash festive gift basket. So you can read more on that there. So it's, um, you know, it's a great initiative the MD Muslim Youth Association has taken and I guess this is part of our faith uh, really um, because if we look at uh, the two main fundamentals of Sharia as explained by the promised Messiah he says that uh, they are that one is that you should give due rights towards the God Almighty, Hukukula, uh, and then second is you should give due rights towards His creation, Hukukula Ibad. And, uh, you know, there's so much stress laid within the Holy Quran, within within the different narrations of the Holy Prophet. Uh, so much stress is laid on uh, helping mankind. Uh, you know, you, you'd be amazed uh, that, you know, uh, in the Holy Quran as well, it says that not just that definition of a neighbor um it's not just immediately who lives right next to you but that itself it can go as far as uh i think 50 mile radius from what i believe um so they they are all your neighbors and islam says that they have a right upon you um and there's a very famous narration of the prophet as, as well he said that that if you are if you are to cook a dish, he specifically refers to 
broth, um, similar dish to that. <coughs> and he said that if you were to cook something like that, then add extra water in it so that you could give it to your neighbor. Um, just emphasizing the point that, you know, your neighbors too have a right upon you. And, and I guess during this winter period when some people are going through difficult time, Financially as well, um, the the Amdi Muslim Youth Association they've stepped up, and uh, they've done some fantastic work uh, with with regards to that. Right? Definitely, took it. I mean, it's good stuff that the Amdi Muslim Youth Association is doing, and we do hope that um, other communities also follow this up. You know, and looking after the vulnerable and especially people who are. Uh, in financially need, it's it's really important to you know help them. Yes, absolutely. Do you, is there any other news you want to share with our listeners? Absolutely, there's uh, quite a few news. So, uh, one news is that RSV jab for winter virus could cut baby hospitalizations by eighty percent. Study says uh, hospital admissions from a winter virus could be reduced by more than eighty percent if babies are given a single dose of a new antibody treatment, a study states. Uh, respiratory uh, syncytial virus, which is RSV, usually causes mild cold-like symptoms but can lead to a pneumonia as well. So the trial involved children in the UK, France and Germany. More than 30,000 under fives are uh, hospitalized with uh, RSV in the UK annually resulting in 20 to 30 deaths. So one British parent said her son getting RSV was very scary as a f- first-time mother. Um, so the result published in the New England Journal of Medicine showed that RSV-related hospitalizations was reduced by 83% in those receiving the jab and admissions for all chest infections were cut by 58%. Side effects were similar in both groups and mostly mild. So that is a, a good news that we we can get this um, jab, which can uh, cut hospitalizations by eighty percent. Thank you for that. And you know, as, as we are discussing some of the news which is happening around the world, we do <coughs> like to cover news which is happening with regards to the community as well. And uh, Asma, I don't know if you had the chance to see the virtual meeting uh, His Holiness had with the Amdiya Muslim Elders Association USA, uh, which took place on uh, the 17th of December uh, 2023, earlier last week. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's very important that we highlight these virtual meetings as well, of His Holiness that not only are there a means of uh, a guidance for the members of the community, but also at large, um, some of the guidance he gives um, are very, very much uh, in line with contemporary issues, and it's it's important to mention that as well. Um, so this virtual meeting, this wasn't actually a virtual meeting, but this was a, a meeting in person by the um members of the uh members of the MD Muslim Elders Association in uh, in USA uh they were blessed with the opportunity of meeting his holiness uh Amir al-Mu'minin Khalifatul Masih the 5th 
uh, may Allah be his helper, in a virtual meeting uh, which took place in Islamabad in the UK. And at the uh, onset of, of this meeting, His Holiness, he conveyed a salam and he led, uh, led, led the members in a silent prayer. And uh, the meeting commenced uh, by showing a video of uh, the cycling event which MD Muslim Elders Association USA, which they have taken place, that was presented. And uh, this was in, this was a video presentation and it was mentioned that this plan was initiated following the guidance of His Holiness in a meeting held in uh, 2022, during which His Holiness he instructed the members uh, of uh, the Muslim Elders Association to undertake long distance cycling. Um, so following the presentation, His Holiness also um, uh, inquired uh, from the members as well. Uh, so uh, Sohail Kosar, uh, he reported that uh, to His Holiness that he has been serving in this position for almost nine years and His Holiness asked him that if he would continue the same position in the next year uh, within this association too. And to this, uh, he replied in affirmative. And His Holiness smiled and said that they can't find any <laughs> young person to take this position. And uh, Hazur then inquired about his age, to which he replied that he would be uh, 75 in January. And uh, <laughs> His Holiness added to that, uh, that's quite young, then quite young then <laughs> to that. And uh, you know what's interesting is that uh, for the listeners, um, I think I'd, I'd explain as well. These auxiliary organization uh, members of the community, um, there's for for the men's there's three. Uh, they've split into three. So someone from the age one to seven will be in the youngest uh, association, and then you have the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association, which is from 15 to 40, and then 40 and onwards. It is the MD Muslim Elders Association, and there's different activities happening. Um, as you know, we've just heard that His Holiness has specifically um, mentioned to the MD Muslim Elders Association that they must uh, cycle long distances, um, and uh, to which the they presented their report and all of these different activities. You know, it it it's to motivate or uh, keep the members active within the community and there's always different events happening and uh, just here um, you know mentioning physical health really that itself is in line with the teachings of Islam as well as uh, you know, the the Holy Prophet peace be upon him he himself said that al-mu'minul khayran min mu'min that a healthy believer is better than a weak believer so that means that Someone who is physically active, he is, he can perform more his task in a better manner than a, a someone who who is unfit and he is unable to perform not only his daily task but also prayers itself. Because prayers, uh, you know, as as a Muslim, um, you know, we have to pray five times a day. And for someone who is unfit, this is something which. Is is a very difficult task, and it can't, it cannot easily be performed. So Islam, it looks at every aspect that you know we we should 
not only cater for our spiritual needs but also for our physical needs as well and we should make sure that we are physically active to perform these actions and uh, as we know from the life of the holy prophet peace be upon him you know that at that time especially going 1400 years back those individuals were very active but even if we look closely um to azam zaghulam at the the promised messiah the founder of the amdiya muslim community we see that throughout his life he was very much busy in uh, propagating islam we know that there are different compilation of books which are over 100 um and these are some of the the books he had written but also some of the discourses that uh, took place as well so the compilation of his over 100 and this uh, you know he he was a champion of islam and he defended islam in the most most beautiful manner but yet we see that throughout his life one thing in particular he he did on a daily basis was that he would go for long long walks and it is reported that within within the small uh, small town in gadian he would often walk long distances to the banks of river bayas and uh, he would walk back um, and and this was his daily habit um and it is also reported that the promised messiah peace be upon him he also used to have a particular weight that uh, he used to he used to use um for weight training um and uh, it just goes to show that you know you you have to look after your physical health um in order for everything else to balance as well yeah, absolutely even with that busy schedule you know yeah and still finding time to i think he used to especially go after the morning prayer he would go out for a walk so it's it's really important for us as we're not, not that busy as you know Thomas Messiah was or Khalifa so we should definitely find time and be fit absolutely so you've just put it on me there <laughs> <laughs> back to cycling <laughs> so yeah uh, no very important and i think i'll end lastly with the his holiness addressing uh, one of the members who is actually in charge of uh, looking after physical health within the md muslim elders association and his holiness uh he was rec- next to report and his holiness inquired about his health his holiness asked that if he engaged himself in any exercise and he replied in the affirmative and added that approximately 33% of members were regularly in exercise so his holiness he 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 says that you know not only uh being the in charge of a particular uh, department not only are you promoting other members to actively take part in sports but also you yourself should through your example as well you should be also taking part in sports so yeah that was a um, that was a meeting his holiness had with the amdi muslim elders association uh, usa um and i would uh, urge the listeners as well that if they are interested if they do want to read more then you can go on our website on alhakam.org and read more on that uh, you can also go on mta news where they upload snippets of these virtual meetings as well so do benefit from that um, and yeah do do give us your feedback uh, let us know your your thoughts and what you thought thought, thought of that 
yes awesome any other any other news yes uh, we can cover some sports so we had some premier league matches yesterday and i think for the first time i'll be happy to announce the results <laughs> especially cuz my team played so we had uh, three matches yesterday we had brentford and wolves uh, wolves actually won 4-1 uh, it was a really interesting match um we had chelsea versus crystal palace uh, chelsea did end up winning 2-1 with modric uh, scoring on the 13th minute and madueka scoring the final goal as a penalty in the 89th minute and we did have some um good um shots from olise he only managed to score one and then we had everton and manchester city everton did manage to score first in the first half and then as we know manchester city they came back with three more goals and they ended up winning 3-1 great thank you so much for that and i think i'll mention the weather as well uh, this is from bbc weather so the forecast today is that today will see a mix of patchy cloud and bright spells with some heavy showers moving in from the west in the afternoon staying very windy with gale force winds in place and the forecast for tonight is that tonight we'll see any remaining cloud and showers move off to east early increasing clear spells move in from the north overnight and winds diminish somewhat but still breezy so that is the forecast for today um so we're just going to be taking a small break and after the small uh, after this break we'll be coming back and uh, we'll be looking at our first topic and uh, we'll be looking at is christmas really the day jesus was born and do muslims celebrate it so uh, we'll be looking at that discussion to so anyway we'll be back shortly after this break Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمدا listening to the voice of islam radio writings of the promised messiah alayhisalam illness means the condition when the body does not function normally and health is the condition when all natural matters function in their proper way the moving away of a hand or foot or any other limb from its proper position causes pain and if this condition persists for a time not only the affected limb becomes useless but it begins to affect other limbs also the same is the case with the soul when a person moves away from god who is the true source of his life and departs from the religion of nature he is involved in suffering and if his heart is not dead 
and retains its feeling. He feels the torment keenly. If this condition is not reformed, there is an apprehension that all spiritual faculties might gradually become useless and a severe torment might ensue. Thus no suffering comes from outside. All suffering is generated within a person. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed in the name of Allah the gracious the merciful. Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome back to the breakfast show. You're listening to myself, Tukir and Imam Asim Hashmi here in the studio of Voice of Islam. Um, Asim, the I've within uh, my where I live uh, for the Abdi Muslim Youth Association, one thing in particular we've we've started an initiative is to bring a friend to the mosque, um, and uh, it's it's this is a great initiative, and uh, ideally we have been uh, promoting the uh, largest mosque in Western Europe. I think it's it's very from what I've experienced. Uh, going out in the public is that it's very you don't have to push that push that much effort into it because people have seen the mosque themselves it looks so beautiful absolutely yeah. um but the the only thing is that there is a misconception out there <laughs> and that misconception is that people think that only muslims are allowed to enter the yeah, mosque yeah, yeah. and when you tell them that look no everyone is allowed everyone can come in and see the mosque the whole complex, they're very much amazed that, no, we we didn't know that. We didn't know it's open for everyone. So uh, already it opens doors to go on different discussions and it opens the doors really to make new contacts. Um, so I, we, we've started this initiative um, and we've made a few uh, pages online as well on Facebook, on 
another app called My Next Door. So we we've started this initiative, this drive. Yeah, uh, I saw some tweets of different imams, Imam Farooq Ashad, Imam uh, Noor Hadi. So it's it's a good initiative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and it's been very successful as well because. Uh, a lot of people have been interested uh, they've come as well they've been visiting the mosque as well um actually the other day um so our our department also runs the visit my mosque uh, campaign yeah so um so when we d- did the visit my mosque campaign i just said you know let me go on the day i said let me go out on the street like in front of the mosque yeah. and just stand there you know yeah. and let's see how that goes So people going past and uh, I said, you know, just that you want to visit the mosque. Have you seen the mosque? And then there were a lot of people mm. who said, you know, we always walk past, but we never uh, tried to or have the courage to go just mm. inside, you know. Mm. And they, they all agreed, yes, let's let's have a look and visit the mosque. Also, did they came at yeah, that they, moment. Yeah, yeah, they came okay. straight out at that that's, moment. That's great. That's great. So you're just standing outside the mosque yeah. and promoting. Yeah. It. <laughs> you need some guts but it, it, it worked <laughs> you know great great initiative there um so yeah we're going to start the first segment uh we're looking at the day christmas and christmas is celebrated um on the 25th of december and is both a sacred religious holiday and a worldwide culture and commercial phenomena For two millennia, people around the world have been observing it with tradition and practices that are both religious and secular in nature. And Christians, they celebrate uh, Christmas Day as the anniversary of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, a spiritual leader who whose teaching form of from the basic of their religion. And uh, Asim, if you can uh, tell us what is the summary and history. uh behind christmas and some of the traditions evolved please absolutely so uh, the middle of winter has long been you know a time of celebration around, around the world and centuries before the arrival of the man called jesus early europeans celebrated light and birth in the dark days of winter so by holding christmas at the same time as traditional winter uh, solstice uh, festivals Uh, church leaders increased the chances that christmas would be popular embraced but gave up you know up the ability to dictate how it was celebrated so by the um, middle ages a uh, christian christianity had f- uh, for the most part replaced a pagan religion uh, on christmas believers attended church then celebrated in a drunken carnival like atmosphere similar to today's uh, uh, mardi gras each year a beggar or student would be crowned the lord of uh, misrule and eager uh, celebrants played the part of uh, his subject the poor would go to the houses of the rich and demand their best food and drink and christmas uh, became the time of the year when the upper classes could repay their real or imagined debt to society by entertaining less fortunate citizens so after the american revolution england uh, english customs uh, fell out of favor including christmas so in fact christmas wasn't declared a federal holiday until 1870 that, that is an interesting point and only until 1870 it was declared a, a federal holiday 
It wasn't until the 19th century that Americans began to embrace Christmas. Americans reinvented Christmas and changed uh, from a carnival holiday into a family-centered day of peace and nostalgia. So a popular medieval feast was that uh, of St. Nicholas of Mira, a saint set to visit children with gifts and admonitions just before uh, Christmas. So this story uh, involved into the modern practice of leaving gifts for children said to be brought by Santa Claus, a a name for St. Nicholas. So some more traditions, including singing carols, and nativity play, one of the oldest traditions, Christmas tree, Christmas dinner, donating presents, gifts and giving and uh, giving gifts and decorations. In the UK, a standard Christmas meal includes turkey, goose and other large bread, gravy, potatoes, vegetables, sometimes bread and cider. A special desserts also are prepared such as Christmas pudding, mince pies, fruit cake and Yule log cake. So that is the history of Christmas. Great, thank you so much for that as well. And uh, you know what's interesting is that if even if we um, read the Bible, it gives us um, some point of view as well in, in regards to the date of birth of Jesus as well. Um, so uh, if unfortunately the the Bible is it doesn't not mention a date for his birth specifically. Um, and uh, although some evidence suggests that after his birth uh, may have occurred uh, in in the spring, uh, and uh, Pope Julius he said that I chose twenty fifth of December, but most researchers believe that Christmas originated as the Christian substitute for pagan celebration of the winter of solstice and in order to make christianity more more uh, palatable uh, to pagans early christians uh, such as church leaders assimilated pagan traditions into uh, fest- christmas festivals um, and according to the bible when jesus was born it says uh, that uh, shepherds they slept outside in the open to tend to their sheep and uh, date date palms where where the seasonal fruit uh, and the and when the baby Jesus was born uh, uh, his mother Mary peace be upon her it, it this says according to the Bible that she shook a date palm tree and ate the date that fell uh, so it's very interesting to to see that reference because we know that a place like Nazareth um, in the winter time, where it's mountainous as well, it can mm-hmm. tend to be very cold. And uh, the Bible clearly reports that at that time when the birth of Jesus, shepherds they slept outside, and uh, they were tending to the sheep at that time. So it's it's a very interesting, yeah, interesting to to listen to that. But let's let's get more on this. Uh, we are joined by Dr. Mohammed Iqbal and uh, he is the producer and host of Living History on Voice of Islam Radio and uh, Dr. Iqbal he's a actually a retired pharmaceutical management professional uh, who has a deep interest in history, religion and <coughs> geopolitics. Assalamu alaikum 
and thank you once again for joining us this this morning. Pleasure, thank you, Doctor Iqbal. Uh, first of all, um, we wanted to get the Islamic viewpoint on this. Uh, so, if you can please explain that when was Jesus born and how does this differ from the Christian view? Is there a is there actually any mention of Jesus being born on 25th of December and the celebration of it? The Islamic um, viewpoint uh, uh, is similar to what you've been uh, saying. I mean, Jesus is one of the most important prophets uh, within Islam, and the Holy Quran goes in detail about his birth, his mission, and his uh, death uh, as well. So Jesus is revered by Muslims uh, as, as a, you know one of the great and important uh, prophets sent by um, God Almighty. Uh, the Quran um, does relate to the time, of, but it doesn't state uh, as in the the Bible, as you know, is silent about the date of birth of uh, Jesus. So, and we will discuss uh, how 25 December came about. You mentioned some of the things already. But in the Holy Quran, in chapter 19, verse 23 to 26, um, the Holy Quran states, uh, and this is in relation to Mary giving birth, so it says, So she conceived him and withdrew with him to a remote place, and the pains of childbirth drove her onto the trunk of a palm tree. She said, Oh, would that I had died before this and had become a thing quite forgotten. Then he called her from beneath her, saying, Grieve not, thy Lord has placed a rivulet below thee, and shake towards thyself the trunk of the palm tree. It will cause fresh ripe dates to fall upon thee. Now, according to the uh, Holy Quran from these verses, um, Jesus' birth then took place the time when fresh dates were found on the palm trees in Judea or Palestine, uh, uh, where Jesus was born. Uh, and dates in that region, as any Arab or Palestinian will tell you in that region, do not grow or ripen in the winter, certainly not. Now, in Palestine, the date harvest season begins in late July and ends in October. So, um, you know, the Holy Quran, as I said, doesn't specify a date, but it makes it clear that it was somewhere between July to October, uh, and certainly not the 25th of December. Um, and as you've mentioned, the Bible itself actually gives a clue to this as well, because in Luke in the 2 uh, verse 8, uh, it also says that when Jesus' birth took place, it was the spring lambing season. Uh, and it was certainly not in the cold months of December or any uh, winter period as well. Um, um, most of the early uh, Christians don't mention of his birth time uh, as well, and there are various accounts from you know Tertullian, who was around 160 to 225. His uh, certainly writings, uh, etc., were popular then. Irenaeus, again, another major Christian writer from 130 to 200, and a number of other prominent uh, writers. Um, you know, dismiss in fact the celebration of birthdays, etc., as pagan practices and not part of uh, Christianity. 
Uh, it was only about three centuries after Jesus' birth, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, when Christianity became the official religion that the dates around December and 25th started uh, uh, coming uh, around. And certainly when, uh, you know, the Emperor Charlemagne, uh, uh, Charles, uh, was uh, made the emperor uh, of the Holy Roman Empire in 800 uh, of the Christian era. Uh, it was on Christmas Day that it was crowned. And from then onwards, it became more and more popular. Uh, and, you know, so initially starting uh, sort of, uh, uh, inroads uh, 300 years or so uh, from Jesus' death, going on to uh, Charlemagne's crowning and then into Western culture, uh, as it incorporated more and more of the sort of pagan festivities from Northern Europe and from the Roman Empire, uh, etc., and, and a number of you know Christian writers mm. uh, have written clearly how Christmas uh, came to be regarded on 25th uh, as a pagan practice. No, it's very interesting, uh, especially the the part you've mentioned regarding the dates as well. Um, just to further back up that evidence, according to Israel's largest and most popular news and content website, Ynet News. They've said that the date harvest season, it begins in late July and ends in October in Palestine and Israel. Um, well, that's yeah, exactly. I, I mentioned that uh, that's commonly what is known. And uh, apart from that uh, website, obviously, this is a well-known fact to yeah, most Arabs yeah. and Middle Eastern people. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and uh, Dr. Iqbal, I wanted to ask you, slightly a different question which is that are Muslims are they allowed to celebrate Christmas and partake in the holiday traditions such as getting together for a meal well there's two aspects to this because originally this was a, a, a religious festival religious celebration marking the birth of Jesus a prominent figure in the world of Christianity so if you're celebrating it from a religious point of view, then certainly Muslims are not supposed to be celebrating because we have our own celebrations that have been sent down, told to us from the time of the Holy Prophet Sallallahu and those are the Eid, two major Eid festivals that we have. And they mark very different things, not the birth of any particular person, etc. We don't celebrate the birth of any other prophet, including our, our Holy Prophet as well. I, I know in some Muslim countries and cultures, uh, uh, you know, people sort of do start marking this, which is really a Western adaptation in my view. But uh, um, so as a religious celebration, uh, we certainly don't because, you know, um, uh, for, for for the reasons, firstly, the, the date doesn't correspond. And secondly, it's not part of our faith. So why celebrate it if it's not part of your faith? On the other hand, we live in the Western culture. Uh, I know it's not a Christian country, Christian country uh, um, as we would have known it several hundred years back, but it's still a, a Christian culture. And so you have a holiday period, etc. There, and so families get together and they, you know, they have meals, etc., to eat, which is during the holiday period when families get together. That's a totally separate matter than having your, you know, Christmas trees and uh, Santa Claus and presents and turkeys and whatever, which really marks the religious significance. So as a religious festival, no, we're not supposed to celebrate that. But uh, as a holiday period when families can get together, that's a separate matter in my viewpoint. And you can have biryani and chicken masala, which is a totally different thing.
<laughs> Great, thank you so much. Thanks so much for that. Um, my co-host uh, also has a few questions he wanted to ask you. So, uh, Doctor Kibal, um, my question is that, in your opinion, uh, how has the way Christmas is celebrated changed over the last few decades? Oh, massively, massively. You know, I came to the UK in 1967 as a nine-year-old from uh, Kashmir. And even in the 60s, um, there was a relevance of Jesus uh, to the Christmas celebrations. You know, uh, the television used to put, uh, put on uh, films about Jesus and his mission and his suffering and, uh, you know, the peaceful message he brought and a lot of things to do with Jesus and Christmas and the old times and biblical teachings and films and narrations and whatever. You look now in the 2020s and whatever, you don't see anything. It's all about escapism and hedonistic films with violence and really quite, really horrible things uh, in relation to culture. Of course, comedy is always good to have a laugh, but, you know, that's a separate matter. But there's hardly anything to remind you of Jesus when he was born, how he was born, how he suffered, what his mission was, or what the message of Christianity was. So it's totally changed. It has become really a marketing-driven uh, commercial thing. Um, and families do get together because, as I say, the holiday period that got around uh, that period. But it's more about Santa Claus than Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's more about Coca-Cola, red, you know, red lorries being driven around. You see the TV commercials uh, uh, on that. So, yeah, it's it changed massively. I think the commercial... The corporations have taken over uh, the Christmas uh, festivities and, uh, you know, people uh, have parties and all sorts of other silly things that go on. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's changed dramatically. I would totally agree. I mean, in my time, they would enjoy watching Home Alone series. So. Yes, <laughs> it was on again. <laughs> so another question is that... Um, um, why in Islam do Muslims uh, not celebrate birthdays? Well, it's more to do with uh, one's uh, um, obligations, and they are to the family and to uh, humanity widely in trying to improve their lives. And, uh, you know, the birth of a child is a gift from God Almighty, and it's to be appreciated, but not to be marked by great festivities and expenditures, etc. Uh, as I said, we, we, uh, during the time of the Holy Prophet, his birthdays were not celebrated, neither did the early Muslim followers, uh, etc. We certainly, as Ahmadi Muslims, don't celebrate the birth of the Promised Messiah, we have important uh, uh, occasions that we celebrate, but they had more to do with the mission uh, of Ahmadiyyat and uh, also in relation to uh, Islam's major e events, uh, the two main Eids that we celebrate. So birthdays uh, are an extravagance. in Even in uh, Christian culture, as I mentioned, early Christians, looked down about, they were considered as pagan celebrations because there was a lot of wastage uh, of money and it was better to look after your family and feed the poor and uh, do good for humanity. So this is something that, again, has developed largely in the Western culture and to some other in some other cultures as well, but it's a bit of an extravagance. 
And, uh, of course, remembering the birth of your child quietly and, uh, you know, showing thanks to God Almighty is, is not a bad uh, thing, but not the way big birthday parties are done, hiring hotels and, fire, you know, crackers and uh, fireworks, etc. It's an extravagance that Islam uh, uh, tries to avoid. Great. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mohammed Iqbal, for joining us this morning and sharing your expertise on this. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 0208687878. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. So, um, discussing this uh, topic, I wanted to add as well that uh, when it comes to the 25th of December, um, we see that according to the uh, new Catholic Encyclopedia, the second edition, it says that the first recorded date of Christmas being celebrated on the 25th of December was in 336 AD. And this was during the time of the Roman Empire, uh, Constantine, and the first Christian Roman Empire. So this means that... uh, Christmas wasn't actually observed by the Roman Church until about 300 years later, after Jesus' death, meaning that the practice of uh, celebrating Christmas cannot even be traced back to the early Christians. Um, And, uh, you know, there are two main sources that have been quoted throughout by scholars and historians, which, uh, from uh, from for example, from the Gospels of Luke, under the under the birth of Jesus, we read that in those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world, and this was the first census that took place uh, while the while the uh, Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went. Uh, to his own town to register. So it says that, So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. And because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. And he was expecting a child. And while while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in a cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in. Uh, so from this passage, uh, we find that we can safely assume that at the time of Jesus' birth, a census was to take place. And we, we know by history that the census used to be taken during the dry hot days where it was easier for people to travel and not when temperatures are often drop uh, below freezing and roads were in poor condition. So thus for a census to be taken in the land of Judea during the winter days uh, when it would snow it is very unlikely. Um, and another detail which needs to be closely looked at uh, is that Mary wrapped Jesus in a cloth and put him in a in a manger, and there was no room in the house. And from this, we consider that Jesus was born 
uh, in the month of it cannot be that he was born in the month of December when it is freezing and snow is common and the question arises as to why Mary would do such a thing leaving a newborn baby outside the cold does not make any logical sense so the historical evidence which are there it proves that actually uh, this was a time where it was a warmer season as well and from the holy quran as well we find further support into this as it was mentioned by dr uh, muhammad iqbal um, so we're going to be going more into this discussion and after the eight o'clock news we'll be looking at a small uh, clip from the fourth caliph of the md muslim Ahmed. may her life mercy on him uh, and he'll be expounding upon uh, this particular uh, question in further detail so we'll be listening to that Um, so don't go anywhere we're going to be back shortly after this break you're listening to the voice of Islam radio Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan, the accursed, in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Well, Asalaamu Alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the breakfast show. You're listening to myself, Tokir, and uh, Asim Ashmi here in the studio of Voice of Islam. And we're looking at this topic is Christmas really the day? Jesus was born and uh, do Muslims celebrate it so we do have a clip we want to play and this is from the fourth head of the Amdiya Muslim community His Holiness um, Mirza Tahir Ahmed and he speaks about why Muslims believe that Jesus was only a prophet um, and and not God and as, Christ- as Christians as the Christians believe and His Holiness, he further explains his point about Jesus' identity in a rational, logical manner, proving a step-by-step that Jesus was a prophet of God. And in his discussion, His Holiness, uh, he also mentions how Jesus' miracles in actual fact point to his status as a prophet of God rather than God's son as the Christians claim. So uh, we're just going to be listening to that clip now. Could you tell me why Muslims think Jesus was a prophet and why not the Son of God as Christians believe? Why we believe that he was a prophet and not a God? Alright, please sit down. I'll ask you. There's so many reasons why. In fact, uh, as a general principle, when you look at the world religions as they are seen today, we notice that the concept of Godhood having appeared in person, is present always in every region of the world. No region of the world is devoid of such a concept. And uh, Christianity is just one example among so many cases. So it's impossible for God to appear himself as personification in every region of the world and keep it secret from the other regions. When he bestows himself, for instance, 
uh, or personifies himself in the form of Jesus as his son, he doesn't let it be known to the Indians or uh, Chinese or other uh, people of other regions who also have the same visitation from God as if God had appeared to them in person himself. For instance, Krishna is supposed to be a God who visited the earth in the form of a man. And there are so many other so-called gods or sons of gods or manifestations of gods who appeared everywhere and uh, if they were all true gods, that is the question, then they should have told each other, uh, every people of every region, that we appeared as Krishna there and we appeared as so many so, so, so and so there and so and so there and now we have appeared before you as Christ or some, somebody else. But no such reference ever made anywhere. So we can safely infer that uh, all that is human imagination, creation of human mind. But another phenomena we do observe is the phenomena of prophethood, which has a common factor everywhere. We find people as claiming to be messengers of God, again in every religion. And their fundamental claim is the same. They have the same claim that uh, God does speak to people and does come into contact with his own servants and uh, gives, message, gives a message or a religion to, to certain people. This uh, has universality, this concept about it. That is the second general observation I make on this. The third general observation, observation is that whenever somebody appears as a prophet, there is a general tendency among the people that when that prophet is dead, out of extreme love for him, they begin to raise his status from manhood to something beyond man, as superman or something even beyond they generally tend to turn him into a god. This is this tendency in human nature is again a universal tendency. There is no exception. This tendency is not only observed in the religious religious world, but also in the other world. That is to say, national heroes. They are turned into demigods later on. Every hero in every respect whom a certain people get attached to is gradually elevated from his real position to something of a mythical position. So this is why hero and hero worship has ultimate, ultimately ended into uh, man-made stories and legends like Robin Hood, for instance, in England, like King, Arthur's, uh, King Arthur and his court and Sir Lancelot. All these, although we know, were ordinary human figures, they might have achieved some feats, some heroic feats, but everybody agrees that the legends woven around them are not real. They are fiction more than reality. Some reality, of course, is, is found in the central core, but most of the stories built around them is fiction. So, it is the same tendency in our human nature which is responsible for, in religion, to lift the status of prophets 
from ordinary human beings into something beyond humanity. And that something like that must have happened to Jesus Christ, peace be upon him. So that was a small Q&A. Um, and uh, it was uh, it was His Holiness Mirza Tahir Ahmed, may Allah the Almighty have mercy on him, uh, who elaborated uh, on that on uh, on this particular segment that question very beautifully um, let's uh, now further dwell into our discussion and look at do Muslims around the world celebrate Christmas um, so Asim can you can you look into this please and uh, tell us what 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 the uh, what what's the Muslim perspective on this absolutely so for many Muslims Christmas is just like a you know, any normal day in the calendar year, but acts as more of a marker for a period of rest and winding down as the rest of the country comes to a halt. So some Muslims take part in Christmas celebrations, others choose not to. Ultimately, how we choose to spend a day is a personal decision. Amdi Muslims do not celebrate Christmas, and the reason is that, uh, firstly, people should follow the teachings of the prophets and take the time for reflection rather than make their birthdays occasion uh, of enjoyment. Secondly, the Quran and Bible both give evidence that 25th December is not the date of birth of Jesus, peace be upon him. Christians take uh, Jesus Christ to be the Son of God and God uh, with Trinity. Therefore, Christmas uh, Christians are celebrating the birth of their God on earth, God forbid. This basically is shirk and associating with shirk is the greatest sin according to the Holy Quran. So that's how can Islam allow celebrating Christmas. Also Muslims do not celebrate the birth of prophets. The worldwide head of them, the Muslim community has said that birthdays are not an Islamic tradition in themselves. In the early centuries of uh, of light when Islam was pure, when Islam was all that it was created for, Nobody ever held birthdays in memory of anyone else. For instance, Hazrat Muhammad wasallam, peace be peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, uh, his birthday, who was the founder of Islam, was never celebrated by his followers, by the followers of his followers, and by the followers who followed in the generations thereafter. So it's a Western concept wedded to Islam, and unfortunately. In the Western traditions, you know, these are just celebrations creating irresponsible rather than responsibility. Sometimes they create disorder and sometimes they do create disturbances of peace. So that is why uh, Muslims do not celebrate Christmas. And another question, um, Brother Tukir, is that do Muslims believe in Jesus as a noble prophet of God? Yeah, so in Islam, uh, Jesus is believed to be a prophet and messenger of God and uh, the Messiah who was sent uh, to guide the children of Bani Israel uh, with a book called Injil. Um, And he was born of a virgin mother, Mary, and is considered a noble prophet of God. And uh, Muslims believe that Jesus uh, is neither God or the Son of God and the religion of Islam uh, it requires belief in not only the prophethood of uh, Muhammad peace be upon him but all the prophets of God including Jesus 
uh, as is mentioned in the Holy Quran in chapter 2 verse 137 the Holy Quran mentions the name of Jesus uh, 25 times and the uh, the name his his mother Maryam 34 times and in fact the whole chapter uh, in the Holy Quran has been dedicated to to Maryam uh, in Surah, Surah Maryam in chapter 19 which gives a detailed account of the birth of Jesus and the related circum- circumstances and in Islam Mary is described as a pious and a religious woman and affirms the fatherless birth of Jesus and it also rejects the outright opposing claim that his birth was illegitimate however although Islam recognizes the virgin birth of Jesus as a miracle it doesn't consider it unnatural then this is because Islamic belief dictates that laws of nature are never broken and the concept of Jesus is not interpreted to mean that he was in some way a divine being and he was still a human being who believed in uh, the absolute unity and indissibility of God and the mission of Jesus was confined to the Bani Israel, the children of Israel as we find from uh, various references from the Quran and also from the Bible and he was commissioned by God to revive the true spirit of the Torah in the hearts of Israelites and uh, clear any misunderstandings about the law and he purified and uh, revitalized Judaism. So I think with that we can close this particular segment um, um, and uh, move on to our next segment. If anyone does want to get in touch with us, if anyone wants to call us, they can do so by calling us on 0208 That's 0208 Or you could tweet to us at uh, Voice of Islam UK. Uh, so we're looking at the wicked wars now and the crisis they cause. Uh, so since 1800, uh, more than 37 million people around the world have died while fighting in wars. And the number is higher still when we also consider the civilians who died due to the fighting and the increased number of deaths from hunger and disease resulting from these conflicts and the deaths in smaller conflicts that are not considered wars and wars are also terrible in many other ways and some of these uh, negative impacts will be discussed today uh, so Asim if I could uh, get the ball rolling and come to you first if you can also explain that why do people go to wars despite knowing the awful consequences so basically uh, a war is an armed confrontation between two or more parties and the following are some typical effects of war death toll so war claims a greatest great deal of lives which causes trauma deep sorrow and disarray in family and in communication so it has been stated that a country will go to war if it believes the advantages of the conflict outweighs the drawbacks and if no other amicable resolution exists. So more precisely, there may have been who contend that political, religious and economic factors predominate in the motivations behind wars. Thank you for that. And... Uh 
when we look at what are the detrimental impacts of conflict on locals and peoples worldwide, we see that regardless of uh, the forces or reason of the conflict, the outcomes are frequently the same and uh, devastating civilian casualties, widespread displacements and the breaches of um, international humanitarian law and human rights are all consequences of armed combat. And the aftermath of conflict can have both immediate and long-term repercussions. And war is experienced differently by soldiers than by the civilians. And while everyone suffers during a war, mothers and children, they suffer more than anyone else. And up to 2 million youngsters died in armed conflicts in the last 10 years. Um, so that that is when we when we look at some of these figures, it is uh, very saddening to to see. But let's get more on this. Uh, we are joined by Professor David Betts, and uh, as I mentioned earlier as well, that Professor David Betts he's obtained his BA and MA at the Carlton University in Ottawa and his PhD at the University of Glasgow. He joined the King's College London's War Studies Department immediately after completing his PhD in 2002. And uh, Professor David, your main research interests are insurgency um, and counter-insurgency and information, warfare, uh, cyber war, propaganda, and also civil-military relations and strategy, uh, strategy especially uh, fortification, uh, both historic and contemporary. So uh, thank you uh, for joining us this morning. Oh, thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, firstly, uh, Professor David, could you outline your role as a professor uh, of war in the modern world? Uh, sure. Uh, I'm... Uh one of several professors in the War Studies Department at King's College London. The War Studies Department has been around for uh, about 60, just over 60 years now. It was established, it was the first of its kind when established, but is now uh, has um, uh, a number of other universities have them. Uh, but War Studies at King's College is, is the largest of its type in the world. Uh, there I, I had our Master of War Studies uh, program, mm. uh, which is a, um, an, an academic program of about, which has about 50 to 55 students per year. Um, and my research is on problems of uh, modern warfare. I, I, I'm not a historian. Mm. Uh, I work on I work on contemporary, uh, usually on contemporary issues of military strategy and warfare. Great. And uh, how how do you find it? Uh, it's well, it's uh, it's fascinating. I mean, mm. For uh, it's, I was listening to your previous caller and your other remarks. Mm. War is war is of course uh, uh, tragic and yeah. has um, um, it is uh, it, it it is though at the same time just extremely interesting. Uh, it, it, um, is a fascinating thing to study. It is, in many ways, it is the engine that drives human history. Uh, it underpins much um, technological and other social innovation. Uh, so it is, it is both tragic but also uh, very, uh, very interesting. 
thank you, thank uh, you for that. And so, mm. not much more to say than that. No, thank you for that, uh, Professor Betts. Um, how would you define information war and cyber war? Do you think they are linked to instances of physical war? Uh, yes. Uh, they The two are different. The easiest to deal with first is cyber war. Uh, cyber war, your own, I mean, most of your listeners will have heard this term. It's been very popular in the last, uh, well, last 20 years uh, for sure. It's easier to understand cyber war if you just replace cyber with computer network. Because uh, fundamentally, that's what cyber warfare is about. It's It's the... Uh, it's the attempt to, um, by one side in a conflict, to uh, to uh, compromise or to damage the other side's other side's computer networks, uh, their computer systems. In, uh, any um, any modern armed force, and like any other part of uh, contemporary um, life, is defined by the use of computer networks. And if you can prevent your enemy from uh, making full use of computer networks, then that gives you a great advantage on the battlefield. Of course, this really only matters in a, in a significant way if you can combine the effect of a computer network attack with some other form of attack. Otherwise, uh, cyber attacks, computer network attacks on their own are relatively um, uh, easy to uh, relatively easy to recover from. They can cause a certain amount of damage, but they but they're not on their own uh, particularly uh, powerful. Information warfare is um, <clears throat> is a bit more uh, complicated. Sometimes the term information warfare is used to uh, in a way that encompasses uh, the idea of cyber. But I think a more precise, uh, a, a more precise, and or more useful definition of information warfare is to think of it as a, as uh, that aspect of warfare which is primarily psychological in its orientation. So the the, the main preoccupation of those people involved in information warfare is in the manipulation of the perception of the conflict in the minds of a range of audiences including the audience uh, including the minds of, of your enemy uh, uh, but also very importantly the mind of one one's own population that is what leads you on to uh, 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 leads us on to propaganda of which again there are different types the most the most uh, the most frequently um, or the most uh, simple distinction within propaganda is to define the different is to remark on the distinction between white propaganda and black propaganda uh, black propaganda being uh, uh, information which is not not only uh, primarily of use to whoever is making the propaganda but is also uh, deceptive uh, uh, was based on lie. white white propaganda uh, sometimes might simply just be described as public relations or um, media management and and the like on at a more most charitable level. Anyway, that was quite a long answer to a basic question. But if people are trying to work out what cyber war is and information warfare is, I would say the first is essentially about computers, 
the second is essentially about human minds. Great, thank you for that, uh, Professor. Um, I want to get your opinion on this. Would you say that most wars which uh, have been taking place in the world now, are they geopolitical wars or do you think they are religious wars? Um, the I would say uh, it's, it's a combination of both. Uh, there is a, an, an aspect of geopolitics is re, is religion or mm. culture or civilization, however you might wish uh, to put it. So the, the the reasons for war are very um, are very wide ranging and complex because of the uh, because human beings have wide ranging and complex interests. Um, but uh, and so. Uh, uh, geopolitics is one is 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 a, is a word which academics use to uh, use to describe a, a complex range of of uh, factors, including uh, but primarily um, uh, at the interstate level. Uh, so, you know, in that case, when we talk about the geopolitical reasons for conflict. We tend to be looking at uh, factors uh, like China's interest with respect to the South China Sea, for example, or uh, indeed America's interest in uh, that part of the uh, Pacific and so on and so forth. So geopolitics tends to talk about uh, nation states. Uh, religions, of course, are uh, transcend nation states. Um, but a lot of our uh, existing conflicts have both a religious and a, a state uh, or, or geopolitical element to mm, them. Mm. Uh, and, and increasingly, we've seen for, for certain after for the period after the Cold War, uh, the character of war has become uh, increasingly more uh, civilizational in its quality. So. <clears throat> Um, you have, uh, uh, and, and I think, or, or civilizational, cultural, or religious. Uh, so, you know, the, the current conflict in Gaza, for example, yeah. has a very strong, uh, very strong, and very obvious uh, religious dimension. This is a this is a con- long-running conflict, essentially between two devotional groups. Uh, likewise, the war on terror has uh, has had a very uh, strong uh, religious uh, dimension um, uh, as, as recognized from the very beginning and certainly um, um, as, as experienced or as talked about by many Muslims uh, arguing that the war on terror is a fundamentally a war on Islam. And there is a, there is a point uh, to uh, to each of those, but my, my I guess in, you know that's just a long way of saying I think the two things are uh, connected, and it's just a matter of perspective. What the analyst is trying to do when they talk about or, or trying to highlight when they talk about geopolitics, which is a bit more uh, objective and distant, or when we talk about uh, religion, but the two are often connected and increasingly connected in contemporary wars. Great. No, thank you for that. 
Professor David. Uh, my co-host uh, also has some questions uh, he wanted sure. to ask you. So, um, Professor Betts, uh, my question is that um, could you offer an overview of uh, civil-military relations and how does this uh, dynamic impact issues uh, surrounding violence and peace? Yeah. Uh, well, civil-military relations is, um, if you think about uh, the most, if you think about war itself, war is, is, is if, if we define war as an act of force to compel our enemy to do our will, Mm-hmm. which is the most which is the, probably the most commonly cited definition of war drawing from the uh, late 18th early 19th century German military philosopher Karl von Clausewitz that was his uh, definition uh, primary his primary definition so if we think of war in, in, in that term in that term in those terms then you have uh, you have then, Uh, a political object, which is the thing that the war is for, and you have the element of force, that is your army or the military. So war itself is uh, is essentially uh, an, um, a, a thing which combines these two elements, the political, which is civil in its orientation. Under uh, normally, The, it is the, 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 the political objective of a conflict is defined by the political power, which is normally civil in, in the modern world, which is normally civil in its confirmation. Uh, that uh, that uh, political objective is reached by military uh, by military force. That is that is to say, therefore, that civil and military relations is essentially at the heart of the study of any uh, of any conflict. Um, to what extent it, it I, I wouldn't say that it uh, that it uh, that it necessarily drives any given conflict today, but to under under but um, if you're trying to understand what is happening and in in any given conflict today and why it is occurring in the way that it does, we tend to have to apply some civil military logic. We we tend to be looking at that relationship between the, the civilian political object of whatever the war is about and the way in which the military as an instrument is, is trying to achieve that objective. Thank you very much for elaborating on that. So my last question is that uh, what forms of propaganda are prevalent today and how can individuals analyze such media critically to shape their own uh, political perspectives? That's a very good question. Um, we we live in a, in a, in a highly um, propaganda-rich civilization. Uh, we are as indi- we are as individuals uh, deeply immersed in information systems, um, and uh, and uh, not just governments, but uh, uh, business and corporations, obviously, and and other institutions are very interested are very interested and heavily involved on a minute and daily 
uh, uh, basis with the management of people's what people think. Uh, and so we are deeply propagandized as as a as a population. That occurs in uh, in in a in a in a in a range of manners. Uh, it it occurs through um, um, our con- our consumption of uh, normal news, what what nowadays we might refer to as the mainstream media. Uh, to the uh, increasingly the consumption of uh, alternate uh, alternative uh, media. I mean, the station being an example of, of that. Um, the the main uh, distinction, I guess, that I, I, I would draw, or there were two, there would be two major distinctions I would I would draw um, for your listeners. Now, the first I've just. Uh, I referred to earlier was the distinction between black and white propaganda. Um, uh, uh, the latter is is very typical. It is, in, in a sense, what we what you might think of as the normal daily bread of uh, people's information consumption, which is a collection of adver- ad- advertisements and other. Uh, um, uh, with a whole range of, uh, of things. Black propaganda is deliberate falsehood. It um, is a constructed ideas that are uh, that are injected into a particular infor- information space for a, for a distinct political purpose. Um, and the two things are the, the the two things tend to, or or the latter tends to masquerade as the former, right? Uh, which is in the nature of a lie. A lie can't present itself as as such. It needs to present itself as as truth if it's going to get any traction. The second distinction, though, I would draw is uh, in terms of the mode of delivery or the medium of the message. Uh, that of course has changed significantly in relatively recent times. So, if you're an adult of, of, of my age, of, uh, mid, in, of uh, mid 50s, uh, the the advent of the digital age is still fairly new for us. Um, we lived through uh, a change in the media space, which went from one where we primarily received our information. Uh, from big providers like big television uh, 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 stations, uh, a handful of major newspapers and the like. Uh, in, in that environment, editors are, were extremely important, and it was easier to control uh, the mm, to control and to manage the flow of information within a given society. Our current context is, of course, extremely different. All of us, as individuals, uh, with any any person with a mobile, uh, with a smartphone today, is potentially a broad a, a global broadcaster. Um, the the question is, and so we are. Uh, the question is, how do you get anyone to listen uh, to what you're doing? Um, and that, you know, that's the preoccupation of. Millions of individuals uh, around the world, but essentially we have a, an, an information ecosphere uh, now. You 
might think of it in in biological terms, which is um, <clears throat> which has a lot more, but many smaller um, um, entities uh, within it, as opposed to a generation ago when there were just a handful of big information um, uh, uh, providers. Now there are there are millions, there are billions, and we can communicate. And that has both, uh, and that has a number of effects. Some of which are liberating, others of which um, are not so liberating, uh, or some of which are positive, others that are uh, negative, depending on on the issue. Thank you very much, uh, Professor David Betts, for joining the Breakfast Show. We did uh, enjoy listening to you, and we do hope to have you again on the Breakfast Show. Thank you yeah, very much. Delighted. Thanks. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. Uh, so that was uh, Professor Professor David uh, Betts who, who came on, and uh, he shared his expertise on this uh, particular subject. So thank you to him for for joining us this morning. Um, uh, we're now going to be uh, getting our next uh, guest on as well. Uh, we'll be listening to Hibatul Mohsen, who is the Vice President of the Amdi Muslim Youth Association uh, UK. Um, so we're, we're going to be just getting him on shortly. Um, and preferably, uh, we want to know about uh, the initiative the Amdi Muslim Youth Association is uh, doing with regards to the Voices for Peace uh, so we're going to be listening to that from uh, from him. Um, yes, yeah, so I do I do believe he is uh, he is joined uh, with us. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Uh, uh, yeah, are you are you with us? Assalamu alaikum. I'm with you. Yes. So as as I mentioned earlier, that you are serving as the vice president of the Amdi Muslim Youth Association UK. Um, I wanted to ask you firstly if you could tell us more about the. Voices for Peace event, uh, which was organized uh, in the House of Commons, but also yeah. some of the initiatives after that that uh, that uh, MDM Muslim Youth Association has been doing with regards to these events, which have been taking place all over the country, really. So, please. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. So, first of all, um, the Voices for Peace event is, or a series of events, I should say, is an initiative of the Jamaat Ahmadi uh, Muslim community in general. Um, this is in light of the atrocities that have been happening in Gaza uh, recent, since 7th of October. We've seen attack from Hamas, which obviously the the Ahmadi Muslim community condemns. We do not. Um, we do not. Um, agree with anything which uh, affects their lives, lives of innocent people. Uh, but since 7th of October, the, 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 the response from Israeli government in the Israel uh, has been quite uh, disproportionate. Mm. And uh, the caliph or the head of the Muslim community, Mizam Ahmed, has been from from the get-go, from, uh, I, was, I was looking at it, from 13th of October, He's been every Friday reminding us about the Palestine conflict and has been asking us to speak up uh, within our circles, 
within our communities, within our groups, speak up about it. The Voices for Peace is basically uh, an initiative which is under the MDM Muslim community. And the purpose of this is for us within our gifts, within our responsibilities, within our circles, to speak up and talk about the importance of peace. Uh, so uh, we held an event on 15th of November in the House of Commons in one of the committee rooms. Um, this was the launch of the Voices for Peace events. Uh, in this event, we um, had few speakers from, from the community side, but also we had um, Hassan Zomlot, who's uh, the Palestinian ambassador to, to the United Kingdom. We had Sir Ed Davey, who's the Liberal uh, Democrat leader for United Kingdom. Um, we had uh, a few MPs, uh, members of Parliament, who attended the event. The interesting thing that happened during this event is by no effort of ours or not by any design, um, when we were looking for a date, we just took, it took a date or we opted for a date which happens to be a date when the PMQs happen, the Prime Minister Question Time happens on Wednesday. But um, just by sheer luck, um, it also happened to be the day uh, when they opted for voting on the Palestinian issue in the House of Commons. Uh, unfortunately, they did not uh, vote for ceasefire, but there happened to be a day which resulted in a lot of presence from media and also from the ministers and MPs on the day. But also there was one of... Uh, not the biggest march, but a massive march that was arranged on the same day uh, that was happening outside the House of Commons. Mm. Um, so the purpose, in in a sense, for the Voice for Peace event is, or what we want to achieve out of these events is the following. Number one, an immediate ceasefire in Gaza or in Palestine. Uh, number two, the safety uh, of innocent lives. And number three, the the, uh, the the coverage, the Western media coverage, they should be justice, so absolute justice. So the justice in response uh, of this conflict and also the justice in coverage of this response. No, for, for, um, but your second yes. part of question is what has happened since then that... Gigi. No, no, I was just going to say that fantastic Sorry, work sir. that... Uh, uh, I was saying that yeah, I was just saying fantastic work that the um, the Muslim Youth Association has, uh, you know, the initiatives that have taken place. Um, and, I, and I just wanted to, um, you know, we just wanted to learn more about the Voices, uh, Voices for Peace campaign, which has been taking place throughout the country. So uh, if you could just uh, shed some light on that as well. Yeah, so um, Voices for Peace, as I said, is not a one-off thing. It is uh, a continuation of um, those efforts. So we've had, um, uh, Alhamdulillah, by the grace of mercy of Allah, we've had an event in Wandsworth uh, Town Hall as well, which was hosted by the Mayor of town, uh, the Wandsworth Council. We've had an event in Watford, which was hosted in Watford Football Club, uh, attended by quite a lot of dignitaries and a lot of people. We are holding an event in um, or in uh, Leamington Spa on 30th of December. We held an event in Borden as well. Um, 
they, they, there was an event in Hounslow as well. So there's there's a series of events that are happening throughout the country, uh, and everyone's got the same message. Everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet, which is raising the voices uh, for peace. Um, not only this, the MD Muslims Youth Association, which is the auxiliary of the MD Muslim community, um, has been working uh, on on several other projects as well. So one thing that we have recently done is we did a fundraising. So we've raised around £50,000 uh, for the people of Gaza, and that would go directly to the people who are affected by this conflict. Um, and, and similar campaigns continue. Uh, we have also launched um, a week ago a website uh, called uh, the, the URL of that is voicesforpeace.org, and that that website contains all the links and details of all the sermons and speeches uh, that Hazur Anwar, the head of the Indian Muslim community, has given, and also for different um, events that are happening across the globe. The Voices for Peace event obviously has happened in UK uh, in the House of Commons, but it's also happened in the Canadian Parliament. It's also happened in the Capitol Hill of America uh, and other places in Switzerland, Germany and other places. Similar events are being organized. Absolutely. I actually had the chance to attend the event which took place in uh, Wandsworth. Um, and, you know, the, the mayor, as you were mentioning, the mayor of Wandsworth was also there, uh, Juliana, and and so that th- that was, you know, from what I've seen is that it's well received as well, even from the public. Um, you know, they really appreciate uh, these initiatives which have been uh, taking place. Uh, so it's, it's a fantastic work from uh, the MD Muslim Youth Association. Um, my co-host also has uh, some questions he wanted to ask you, uh, brother Mohsen. Uh, Brother Mohsen, uh, so my question is that uh, what role do you think uh, especially the youth uh, play in up- upholding peace in the society? So um, youth traditionally, historically, um, have been quite significant members of society. So and I, I'll answer this in two parts. But the first part is that if we look at any um uh, the the history of humans, we see that in the time of war, in the time of uh, development, in the time of peace, uh, in the time of progression, it's always youth that are at the forefront. And that's not only in the human race, it's also in the animal kingdom as well, that the youngsters or the youth members are always at the forefront of defending their packs or doing all the labor work. So youth per se is the force which brings all the, the energy, the drive, the ambition to, to the whole society. Um, so as part of MD Muslim community, we have different auxiliaries, MD Muslim Youth Association being one of them. Uh, and the vision behind this community can well be summarized by the motto of the Youth Association, which is that a nation cannot be reformed without the reformation of its youth. And we strongly believe in it. Um, The MD Muslim Youth Association, under the guidance of our caliph, 
continuously does projects uh, throughout the world, which are humanitarian in their uh, mission. But also within the community, we do a lot of humanitarian stuff. We do a lot of um, uh, projects which are, are driven entirely by the youth association. So I think the role that the youth play in in the in the scale of any nation is huge and not not only limited to the conflict but also in peacetime the development and the progression of nations it hugely resides on the progression and development of the, the youth definitely really interesting so an important question is that um what other efforts do you think we can make to stand up especially against war and violence um, within our circles, we have to do whatever we can. I think um, in, in, in Islam, we follow this principle that if you see something bad happening, you should um, you should stop it with your hand. So if you see uh, on a street or in, in a town center or any other place a man trying to beat an innocent person, you should stop that person by hand, right? Stop his hand or stop. The, his or her hand by by using your own hand um, without obviously taking violence against them you, it, it doesn't mean that you start beating them up or doing something ridiculous but it just means that you you need to act the second thing Islam preaches that if you cannot do that you should use your tongue you should speak up and you should say this is wrong stop doing this and the third thing is that if you cannot do either of them within your heart you should at least acknowledge and register that um, this is the wrong thing. So for us to do something about uh, the war, war on, uh, uh, in, in the world or any conflict for that matter, those who are in power or those who can do something should actually do something. There should be no two ways about it. They shouldn't say something else and do something else. Their actions should speak volumes. So whatever uh, they can do, those who have got the authority and power to do something should do it and making peace, bringing peace to the world. Those who do not have such a power, they have the power of speaking up. They should write to their MPs, they should write to their ministers, their prime ministers, their world leaders, the leaders within their communities, and even talking to your own colleagues, to your friends, to your circles, and making sure that they understand your position or our position on peace. And peace doesn't, is, when, when we talk about peace, we don't peace talk about peace uh, in, in subjective terms. We talk about absolute peace, which means irrespective of who you are, what your beliefs are, what your race is, what your creed is, we want everyone to follow the same principles of following peace. And then the third thing is that if you really can't do any of that because what's for any reason, um, then then at least within your heart you should just feel bad about them and you should pray. Pray is you know the the, the weapon that has been given to them, the Muslim community that we believe our founder has mentioned about it in his books as well. So we continuously pray for the world peace and we the our, um, the community head. Uh, He's been for over almost 20 years now, been reminding us about praying for, for the world peace.
great uh, brother hibatul mohsin thank you so much uh, for joining in this discussion um and uh, you know i hope everything is going well uh with the md muslim youth association i know during this period as well as the uh winter retreat uh for a lot of the youth members um so best of luck with all of the endeavors Jazakallah, Jazakallah for having me, if so. 0208-687-7878. That's the number to call if you do want to get in touch with us. So we just spoke to uh, Brother Hibatul Mohsin, who is the Vice President of the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association UK. Um, so uh, we are just uh, uh, coming, approaching the end of the show as well. Um, so I think... Uh, I I wanted to take this opportunity and uh, thank all of the guests that uh, took the time out and uh, joined the discussion we had uh, Dr Mohammed Iqbal who joined us for the first segment so and uh, Professor David Betts he joined for for this particular segment and also uh, brother Hibatul Mohsin uh, so thank you brothers for for joining the discussion also wanted to thank the producer Saleha Ahmed Uh, and her team of researchers Taiba Tahir uh, Zoya Daniel Afrin Masood Sehrish Baria and Atia thank you so much for a, for a great production uh, and also uh, the, the tech team Shariar uh, for his uh, great work in the background so uh, thank you to him um, and and lastly to the listeners as well because uh, it is um, through you, you guys you know we we uh, keep coming back give us your feedback let us know uh if, if you do have any opinion you want to give us do give us your feedback you can do that by calling us on 0286877878 or you can tweet to us at voice of islam uk uh, so yeah uh, let us know and uh, also to my co-host uh, brother asif hashmi uh Thank you for for joining us this morning. Thank you for joining us and we we glad to have you again today. Yeah, so if you if you enjoyed uh, Thursday morning, you're going to absolutely love Friday mornings <laughs> because uh, I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, Friday Friday morning is uh, when my team presents. So, uh it's a privilege to present on uh, Thursday morning as well, but yeah, uh, with that uh would like to take our leave and uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show until next time is assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh